Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I want to welcome Steve Kirsch. Uh, Steve Kirsch is a billionaire, Silicon Valley entrepreneur and philanthropist, and was the founder of the COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund. He's done a lot of other things, not only with respect to COVID, but in life. Steve, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Sure. Uh, Good to be here, Frank. So, Steve, give us an idea. Give uh, folks listening an idea of your business background and what you did prior to you getting involved in COVID. Well, I've been a serial entrepreneur, a high-tech entrepreneur in um, Silicon Valley for the past 40 years, and I've started uh, seven or eight uh, high-tech companies. A couple of them had billion-dollar market caps. All right. Uh, so, so, yep. So you're so a high-tech entrepreneur. And now, once once COVID sort of paralyzed the whole world, you wanted to devote your resources to you know, trying to treat and deal with COVID, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, it was enlightened, so I'd like to call it enlightened self-interest that I wanted to get back to work and have all my employees get back in the office as well. So I was looking for things that I could do to accelerate the process. Got it, got it. Okay, so um, you're not, just for the record, somebody that thinks that COVID wasn't was not or is not real right it's not a hoax uh correct i don't believe it's a hoax um, in fact i have covid right now so i hardly think it's a hoax <laughs> oh, okay how are you doing by the way how's your health now I'm, I'm doing great i published the protocol that i used i've been i was diagnosed on friday and uh, uh it's now monday and I'm pretty much over it. There's very little left. Um, I don't even have much of a cough. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. You certainly sound sound pretty good. Now, your group um, has showed a lot of promise in funding the research on something called fluvoxamine. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But, uh, you know, help us out here. What is fluvoxamine and what, what was the intended use for fluvoxamine when it first came on the scene? And then what promise did your group show in your use of fluvoxamine? So uh, fluvoxamine is what's known as an uh, SSRI. Um, uh, and it's a, basically it's an antidepressant or it's, being, it's used uh, for people uh, who have a, obsessive compulsive disease. In other words, maybe you uh, are constantly washing your hands or touching your face or doing something compulsively. And so it's used to treat uh, that sort of disorder. That's that's the labeled use. Uh, but what we discovered is that it has these very interesting anti-inflammatory properties. And so the thought was that you could use the anti-inflammatory uh, properties of fluoxamine against COVID because COVID damages people because of the inflammatory response. So anything that could reduce that inflammatory response would be like pouring water onto a fire. 
And so this was tested in multiple clinical trials, and it was shown to be effective. And so I'm, I'm using the drug now for treating my COVID, so taking 50 milligrams uh, twice a day. Uh, it's a very low dose. It's um, a fraction of the dose that is recommended by the FDA for treating obsessive compulsive disease. So you're taking a relatively small dose, uh, basically a third of the, the dose that would normally be used. And you're taking it for just 14 days at, at most. And what it does is it prevents people from having any kind of long-haul COVID, and it also reduces your chance of being hospitalized or dying. So it's a very it's a it's a cheap drug. It has very low side effects. When when I take it, it I don't even I can't even tell uh, that I'm taking the drug. Some people it affects uh, differently. Uh, a very small percentage of people can't uh, take the drug or can't tolerate it. Uh, and the the thing is that when you're on fluvoxamine, you want to stay away from caffeine because uh, if you do take caffeine, you're going to be wired for 24 to 48 hours. Uh, after after drinking caffeine, which is not going to be pleasant if you're trying to get a good night's sleep. Sure. So that that's the one um, thing that people need to be aware about. For, for well, we're talking with Steve Kirsch. He's the uh, founder of the COVID nineteen early treatment fund. Is, is so my sense that when if somebody goes to the doctor or to the hospital now to seek treatment for COVID, fluvoxamine is not high up on the list of drugs that a doctor or healthcare practitioner is going to give to COVID patients. Why, if your research early on was so promising, something, by the way, that even your critics acknowledge was the case, why is fluvoxamine not necessarily considered one of the top-tier treatments for COVID? Uh, Because it works. Uh, Anything that works is going to be ignored by the NIH. In fact, uh, we actually... um, got some inside information that the NIH was actually going to recommend uh, fluvoxamine for COVID because of the the clinical research. Uh, But uh, we heard that they got a call from the FDA to say, hey, uh, don't do that. Just give it a neutral recommendation. So the uh, NIH gave it a neutral recommendation, and the doctors just do whatever the NIH says. NIH gives it a neutral recommendation. They won't use it. So it doesn't really matter what the science says. And in fact, fluvoxamine has the highest level of of evidence in evidence-based medicine, which is the peer-reviewed systematic uh, analysis, meta-analysis, and systematic review. And so, and, this, and it's published in a uh, a top medical journal. And so, this is the, this is kind of like winning at the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court basically says, "Yes, uh, your drug works." And so, it's got that highest level of evidence, and all the doctors are supposed to uh, respect that, but the doctors basically do whatever the NIH says. So, Steve, Steve, explain to us why the NIH would not want to embrace a drug that works in the manner, you know, for for the use that you use it. I mean, they do allow its use and encourage its use for other things but not for COVID. Why would that be the case? If it works, it's, I think it, it's, a little, um, it's a little odd to people that the NIH wouldn't embrace it. Why? Uh, because the NIH is basically uh, Tony Fauci-driven, and Fauci has said that, hey, the way we treat uh, this, the uh, uh, COVID is through vaccination. We don't tr- treat it through 
uh, early treatment except for the drugs from the major drug companies like uh, Paxlovid. So if it's a generic treatment, uh, it, it, they're basically told to ignore any uh, generic treatment. That's why things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and vitamin D and NAC and all these drugs that are very effective uh, are completely ignored by the NIH. You know, and vitamin D is like the you know the simplest thing uh, that that people with very high doses of vitamin D um, they don't get very sick at all. Uh, if you take an, an aspirin a day, that can reduce your chance of hospitalization by forty percent. What do they do? They they just ignore that. Uh, you know, so there's lots of of research, and there are lots of uh, effective things that people can do, uh, but the the direction is basically, hey, we're going to we want everyone to get vaccinated. That's the way we end this. And and I think it's the the the, the original thinking. I think was that oh, if we get everybody vaccinated, we'll create herd immunity through vaccination and we'll end this. Whereas if we focus on treatments and people get treatments and don't get vaccinated, then we're going to have a tougher time and we're going to be battling this virus forever. So I think it's um, was done deliberately to force people into getting vaccinated. Okay. Yeah. By making uh, no alternative available. I want to come back to the vaccination issue in just a moment. A quick disclaimer. I want to remind folks that uh, Mr. Kirsch's comments are his own and don't represent the views of the station or mine. And my advice is always not that I'm a doctor, is to uh, talk with your doctor about a healthcare strategy that works for you um, rather than get your healthcare strategic advice from the radio. But I was going to ask you, Steve, uh, before we get to the vaccine issue, the the other treatments you alluded to uh, that have also been very controversial and uh, dismissed by a lot of people in the mainstream of the medical establishment, specifically hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, uh, th- those are also treatments that you think show promise for the treatment of COVID. No, oh, absolutely. You know, I always ask uh, doctors who who say, "Oh, well, you know, there's not enough evidence on ivermectin." Is okay. So, show me an example of a drug which has been through 24 clinical trials from all over the world and showed that the drug was gave a positive effect uh, for the, uh, the, the primary outcome that they were looking for. Show me an example of where that drug actually failed when it was done, you know, tested through more rigorous uh, uh, trials. And, you know, there isn't one. So <laughs> there's, there's just abundant evidence all over the place that, uh, that it works and they're there are lots of anecdotes, and doctors who try ivermectin typically don't go and and determine, oh, this drug didn't do anything. So, you know, certainly in my case, I got my COVID from my wife. My wife didn't get any treatment at all for her uh, COVID, and she's got a much better immune system uh, than I do. I'm much older than uh, than she is, and I'm immune compromised. And so she was in bed for a week. Um, I was in bed for uh, about a day. So, and I did take the drugs. I took uh, uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and I took fluvoxamine. So, 
it's an anecdote, but it's an interesting sure. anecdote, and it's repeated over and over again. Uh, and then what about what about other m- mainstream um, medic treatments for COVID? Things like monochromal antibodies. Well, monoclonal antibodies are very inconvenient uh, for people. You have to schedule an infusion. You have to sit down for a half hour. They stick a needle in you. You stay, have to stick around for uh, the, the whole infusion time, and then you leave. And it's uh, if you're paying for it, it's super expensive. Uh, whereas these uh, repurposed drugs, you just take the drugs and and you're done. It just it's very convenient. You don't have to have a hospital visit. You don't have to you know find the drug and so forth. So it just makes it really really easy. Are um, before we talk about the approval of vaccines for children under five, let's talk about vaccines for the adult population, particularly the at risk population, uh, senior citizens, and people that might have. Immuno, uh, immunocompromised related conditions or or other pre-existing conditions. I know you're vaccinated, but a lot of your comments over the last year or so seem pretty critical of vaccines. Would you say you're anti-vaccine? Um, I would say I'm pro-science, and there has not been any data at all for any vaccine in the United States. And so we're not talking just the COVID vaccines, but we're talking any vaccine. There's not been any risk benefit study for any of these vaccines. And they're supposed to be done, but they're not being done, most likely because they know that the results will be negative. And so I'm perfectly happy to take a vaccine where there's scientific data that shows that the risk benefit is positive. It's just that there isn't such a vaccine. And so uh, you could call me anti-vax uh, in that I'm not going to be taking any vaccine until I can see the data that shows me that, that the benefit of the vaccine is going to outweigh the risk of the vaccine. And so far, there is no data for any uh, vaccine in the United States uh, that suggests that I should take the vaccine. And in fact, um, the, the data shows that, uh, that that I've heard about is that it's uh, Kids that have never been vaccinated are typically five to ten times healthier than than kids who go through the the normal childhood vaccination schedule. What, when you, and when you say no vaccinations, you're not just talking about COVID. You're talking about any vaccination, measles, mumps, rubella, that sort of thing. Correct. Okay. Well, I mean that is really at odds with 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 the overwhelming consensus of of medical science, isn't it? Oh, um, sure it is. But, you know, the thing is that people don't want to debate this topic. You know, Bobby Kennedy has been trying to debate this topic with anybody in the medical community for 20 years. And the only guy who would debate him was Alan Dershowitz, who's an attorney. Sure. And Dershowitz did it because he's a friend of Bobby. And Dershowitz lost very badly. So nobody from the FDA, nobody from the CDC, nobody from the NIH is willing to challenge Bobby Kennedy on the facts on vaccination. And there's a reason for that. It's because Kennedy knows what he's talking about, 
and he's got all the data and nobody's going to fool him. And so nobody wants to challenge him because they know that, that they would lose. Now, Robert so, Kennedy is also a, a lawyer. And I want to point out, uh, especially because we're talking about medical issues here, your background is not necessarily in medicine or, or healthcare. Your background is in computer science and electrical engineering. So I think a lot of people may hear you speaking so authoritatively on a lot of the, you know, a lot of very, very controversial subjects and think, what makes you more of an expert than the top doctors in the world? Uh, well, the, the, the thing is that I don't, I'm not silenced by the medical community. The, the problem is that the doctors can't speak out against the vaccines and they can't, you know, for example, they can't speak out against the COVID vaccines because they'll lose their medical license. And if they lose their medical license, they're done. And nobody wants to lose their medical license. So no, so people are basically stay, staying silent. So I'm not a doctor. And I'm just a scientist. I just look at data. And when I look at the data, the data is, is, is very crystal clear. Um, <laughs> So I've tried to debate anybody, and it's not just me that says this. Um, you know, Andy Wakefield, uh, for example, has been saying this stuff about vaccines for 20 years, and nobody wants to debate Andy Wakefield just like nobody wants to debate uh, Bobby Kennedy because they know that Wakefield has knows what he's talking about and he has all the, uh, the stats. So I'm just someone who just looks at, at what the science says, and I'm driven by the science, and I always have been driven by the science, and that's really what characterizes me is I'm, I'm data-driven. And the, the, tell me the data and can convince me, and I'm the, willing to change my mind. The data that you've cited, and we're talking with uh, Steve Kirch, and if you want to check out his website, uh, you can do so at uh, vaxsafety.org. Uh, the data that you cited about children who are unvaccinated being healthier than children that go through the normal vaccine schedule – what is the source for that? Oh, uh, Wakefield, uh, Andy Wakefield. Uh, I interviewed uh, uh, Andy recently and uh, broadcast that on my. I've got a, a channel on Rumble, and I, um, so he. I, I asked him uh, point blank on on that question. I said, you know, how much uh, healthier are these kids who don't get vaccinated at all? I said, is it like two x, three x? He says, no, it's like ten x. So. But there are a very small percentage of kids that are uh, that don't go through the vaccine uh, schedule. I mean, it's it's only it's fewer than one percent of the kids in America have parents that that basically have realized that the vaccines are harming their kids and causing autism. Uh, I want to I want to have you back in the future and maybe set up one of these debates with uh, a doctor that's more uh, well versed in medical issues than I am. But I do want to ask you about. Some of the claims that you've made with respect to the COVID vaccine specifically, it's been reported that that has led all 12 members of the scientific advisory board of your COVID-19 company to resign. Is that accurate, number one? And number two, if that is accurate, why would your scientific advisory board be resigning if your conclusions were so well-grounded in data? Uh so, yeah, that, that's true. So this is the scientific advisory board for the COVID-19 early treatment fund. And a year ago, I discovered that my friends were injured from the vac vaccine. So one friend had uh, three relatives who died within a week after getting the vaccine. And that was pretty troubling. 
But then a week later, my carpet cleaner uh, shows up in my, my house to, to clean my carpets, and he's wearing a mask. And I find out that he had a heart attack two minutes after getting the vaccine, and he's never recovered from that. He has been in pain a scale of 8 to 10 for the past year. And his wife also uh, had a debilitating effects after she got her vaccine in the arm that they uh, shot her up in. And so it's these uh, coincidences that led for me to, to look at the VARES data. But the, the thing is that I came out and, and did all the research. I wrote a 285-page article that I published in Trial Site News. And a week later, all of these members of the Scientific Advisory Board resigned. And I asked them, well, if I have it wrong, then please tell me how I have it wrong, because I thought I analyzed the data correctly. And they just said, you're wrong, and we never want to talk to you again. So nobody's interested in challenging me on the facts. They're just interested in having their belief system, mm. because they believe that the FDA yeah. is telling the truth and not lying to them. And so this is about their beliefs versus Steve, I I have to break, but we're interested in having that discussion. So maybe in the next week or two, if I could find uh, somebody that uh, that is willing to engage in an open conversation about this, maybe you'll come back and we'll continue this conversation. Okay? Oh, oh, absolutely. I've been looking for somebody to challenge me for a year, and nobody has. Uh, I'm going to find someone. That's my my mission. Steve Kirsch, (laughs) uh, check. Check him out, vaxsafety.org. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.